Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to LifePoint Church Online. For those of you who are watching from your homes or wherever you're at, we are so glad you've joined us this morning. It's a crazy day. Uh, this weekend in San Antonio and all around South Texas, uh, we have a winter weather advisory warning, which is something that just doesn't happen here. And so we just decided to be safe and also for just fun. Like, when's the last time you got to build a, maybe you, you can only build a snowman like this big or whatever, but you can build like a little tiny snowman or whatever. You can make a little tiny snow angel out in the snow. You just don't get that opportunity. And so we're like, let's take it. Let's have fun. Let's have family time. Uh, but also let's gather together and worship. So we're so glad that you've joined us. Those of you who are joining us live, thank you. Those of you who are going to watch it later or on a podcast, thank you as well. So we're starting a brand new series today called Relationship Goals. I'm sure that many of you know that there is this hashtag that's been going around for several years called hashtag relationship goals. And it's been, it's been huge on social media for years. And, and it's this idea that when people see a couple, you know, in some beautiful place that they admire on Instagram, maybe it's a celebrity couple or whatever, they'll, underneath it, they'll go hashtag goals or hashtag relationship goals. And what they're saying is they want some version of what that couple has. They, they want to have a relationship that looks like like theirs on some level, even if it's only like we want to go to that place. So if I were to ask you to picture, whether you're married or whether you're single, uh, what your hashtag goals would be for your current relationship or the future ones that you might have, can, can you get a picture of that? What, what does that look like uh, for you? What does the, the ideal couple relationship look like for you? And then, and then, what would it take for you to get there? What are the habits, the, the, good, the good traits that you'd have to do to get you there? So what we want to do for the next few weeks is give you some relationship goals, some potential goals to strive for. Then they, they may not be any of those that you just pictured in your heart, in your mind. But, but I'd love for you to just to, to lean in and, and see if one or maybe all of these goals might actually change your life. Today, I'm going to talk to married people and anybody who would say, you know what, well, maybe you've been married before, maybe you've, not, maybe you've never been married, but you're like, man, I'd like to get married someday. So I'd like to give you something to, to hear. So, so the number one relationship goal that we're starting with is to have friends with benefits. Now, now hang on. I know that has some other meanings. And all the young people are like, man, I knew I liked this church. Okay, no, that's not, we're not meaning it the pop culture way, right? Let me explain why uh, you need friends with benefits. Marriage is about, fundamentally, it's about friendship. It's about a lot of other things, but it's about friendships. And when you talk to any of the researchers and the, the sort of social scientists who study marriage, they'll tell you that the one thing that, that lasts when other things in marriage fade, you'll find at the core, the thing that keeps marriages going over the test of time is friendship. And not just any friendships, near and dear friendships. Not, not even love, because feelings of love can sometimes come and go. Those of you who've been married for a while, you'll know that, that sometimes you're like, I don't even like them, right? Much less love them right now. And, and so you'll hear people say, we, we just don't love each other anymore. And their next thought is, Surely you, you don't expect us to stay together, right? Because emotions change and obsessions fade and it's just true. So I have been 
for the last 10 years or so following the work of Dr. John Gottman um, for, all, uh, for several years anyways. He, he's a clinical psychologist. He's a researcher. And he and his wife work at the University of Washington. And they have a website and they have incredible books and, and resources available. But they've been doing research for 40 years now on how couples last the test of time. And, and one of the things that he says is that most men and most women want the same exact thing in their marriages, despite the fact that we are are so, so different. And, and the one thing most of us have in common, like the, the most important thing for most of us is that their spouse becomes their nearest and dearest friend. And, and, and what's interesting is, is this particularly true for men. So, so it's interesting to me, uh, telling even that in Genesis 2, 18. So, so now, just, just so you know, this is before sin has entered the world, God declares only one thing to not be good. In all of his creations, there's one thing that's still not good. And Genesis 2.18 tells us what it is. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So I'm going to make a helper who is, look at this, just right for him. And so God's answer for the thing that is not good in the world is to give him a wife. And so the first friendship, the first human friendship in the history of the world was between a husband and a wife. He, he could have just given Adam like a, like a buddy. Like, hey, Adam, I want you to meet this dude, Paul, right? You guys are going to like hunt snakes because they're bad. And, and you're going to eat chicken wings and you're going to shoot hoops and you're going to scratch and whatever. It's going to be great. No, no, no. He gave him a wife. And that word helper we just read there, that's like the word partner, somebody to partner with through life to, to make a huge difference in the world. And, and, and so I love later on in the Bible story how Solomon's wife would describe him to her friends in the book of Song of Solomon, chapter 5 or 16. He, she says, this is my beloved and this is my friend. Or this is my lover and this is my friend. And I can't think of a more beautiful definition of marriage, lover and friend, or, or to use our language, friend with benefits, lover and friend. In, in, in our culture, <clears throat> we only care about the, the lover part, right? Our culture, which is uh, sex-saturated, we don't care so much about friendship. And, and so many times when you're reading through the Bible, you'll find that when the Bible uses the word love, it's often referring to deep and self-sacrificial friendship. So I'll give you one, for instance, and there's many. In Ephesians 5.25, Paul's writing to husbands and wives. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, up for the church. Th this verse could have easily been translated to say, husbands, be self-sacrificial friends with your wife, like Christ is a self-sacrificial friend to his church. And I, I, I can't uh, speak for, for, for all women, but fellas, I'd wager that this is how your wife hears the word love, near and dear friend. See, see this is why uh, this, this is why emotional affairs are so horrific on the emotions and the psyche of the victims of it. Because emotional adultery, if you don't know this term, is when you become too close to a person of the opposite sex and you transfer that intimacy that was meant for your spouse to somebody else that's not your spouse. Now, I'm not even talking about sex here. I'm talking about intimacy and closeness and nearness and friendship. Friendship. 
So, so I think if you study the, the, the Bible story and God's perfect design, your nearest and dearest friend, your first human friend, uh, probably not your first, but your best friend is supposed to be your spouse. God says, it's not good to be alone. And his answer to that problem is marriage. This is why we value marriage so highly at our church. This is why we place a high priority on it, on making it better. But, but you think about the word friend in our culture, like right now. It doesn't carry the same way it did, say, for my parents' generation because we've dumbed it down significantly. We, we have Facebook friends and we have Instagram friends and TikTok friends and, and some of us have thousands of them. But, but, but listen, are, are they really your friends? Like, no, of course not. They're not calling you when you're going through the hard times in life. They're, they're not showing up at the funeral and hospital moments that you and I have throughout life. And many of us have had even more so recently. Now think about the word friend in our culture. Like it, it doesn't carry the same weight it did, say, in my own parents' generation. Because we have managed to dumb it down significantly. Like we have Facebook friends and TikTok friends and Instagram friends. And some of us have thousands of them. But, but, but are they really your friends? No, no, of course they're not. They're not calling you when you're going through the hard times in life. They're not showing up at the hospital and funeral moments that many of us have been experiencing recently. They don't know the real you. They're not driving by your house for a, a birthday parade. Come on, can I, can I get a witness on that, right? Like real friendships are much different than what they're presented now in our culture. I, I feel like the realness of, of our relationships has been eroded so much by media and instant friendships and all this stuff that we can't hardly tell the difference between the real and the counterfeit when it comes to relationships. And so because of that, we need to know what it looks like. We need to get a clear picture of what it looks like. So what does it look like to be a good friend to your spouse? I, I want to give you some qualities that could describe, and I could have used many, but I just want to give you a few qualities that could describe how you grow in friendship with your spouse or the person that maybe you're even dating right now. You ready? Four qualities of friendship in relationships. So number one, and this is going to be a good one, is fun, right? Fun. Look, look at Ecclesiastes 9, 9. Live happily. Come on, underline that in your notes right there. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. Now, other translations say live happily with the, 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 the wife that God gives you, right? So it's very specific. It's not just with any woman. It's, it's the wife that God gives you. Now, now, so by the way, thanks, thanks Solomon for the, for the meaningless days of life, right? That's a big encouragement that he's saying that there is so much of life that we sort of have to endure that is sometimes quite meaningless, rut-like. It's, it's, it's routine, right? So, so much of life can feel kind of meaningless. But the one spot, bright spot, Solomon says, that it should be your family, the wife that God has given us. And, and Solomon goes on to say, the wife God gives you is your reward for all of your earthly toil, right? Like, this is the reward. I'd say, though, that without adventure, without romance, without physical intimacy, marriage is often reduced to a kind of business relationship, 
Two people living under the same roof, but yet living two entirely different lives. The communication simply becomes about business. Hey, you got that, and, and I'll cover this, and you go to the store, and I'll go here. We're paying bills. We're, we're the taxi service for our kids. If you've got kids, you know, particularly when they're teenagers, you're the taxi service. But we lose the fun and the romance and the sizzle fizzles. So, so I'd say that without adventure, like without romance, without fun, without physical intimacy, marriage is often reduced to a kind of business relationship. Like, like two business partners just happen to inhabit the same house, but yet living two entirely different lives. The communication, think about this. It devolves into business type stuff. You do this, I'll cover that. You pay that bill, I'll get this done. You go to the store and we're the taxi service for our kids. But we lose the fun and the romance and the sizzle fizzles. I like that. Come on. I like that. And what's interesting is people, think about this. When you were dating, you don't fall in love having a bad time, right? Where's the movie where two people fall in love totally bored with one another? You ever see that commercial? This game is boring. Anyways, it's funny to me. Ladies, when you were younger, you never said to your bestie, he's amazing. We just sit around and watch him play Call of Duty. It's incredible, right? Nobody says that. Instead, you said we have so much in common and he's so fun to be around and he makes me laugh so much. You remember that? Remember that guy, right? Fellas, we never said she's a total drag, but she's incredible at crossword puzzles. Think I'll marry her. Sorry if you play crossword puzzles. I'm, it's a little, anyways. The, the, the dating was fun. It was exciting. It had a certain thrill to it. But when you get married and some people lose all the adventure and all the fun that in part makes life what it should be, the fun makes life what it should be. I, I think we all know that by just sheer logic, marriages are going to be happier when we make time when we make time to have fun. But often it's the fun that is the first thing to fall by the wayside as we begin to add kids and careers are taking off and then you add 2020 to the mix and it's like we're barely scrapping for survival here. Who's got time to have fun? But I don't think having fun is actually just a sort of luxury in marriage. I think it's actually a necessity. Research from the University of Denver supports the idea that finding moments to be together free of financial fam family or, or any other kind of stresses just to have fun together is not an indulgence. So I don't think having fun is just a luxury in marriage. I think it's actually a necessity. And there's research that backs this up. So the University of Denver did this study that supports this idea that finding moments to be together free of financial or family or any other kind of stresses just to have fun together is not an indulgence. And so here's what they say. The more you invest in fun and friendship, and being there for your partner, the happier the relationship will get over time. This is Howard Markman, the psychologist who co-directed this, 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 uh, this study. So then they go on and say, the correlation between fun and marital happiness is high and significant. And for men, the connection is even more important, the researchers say. They found that men are more likely than women to call their spouse their best friend. Think about that. Thomas Bradbury, who co-directs the Marriage and Family Development Laboratory and Relationship Institute, that's a lot of words, y'all, at the University of California, Los Angeles, believing, believes having fun together can become a self-fulfilling prophecy for couples. He says people in happy relationships generate these activities. And as they generate these activities, it keeps the relationship strong and healthy and fresh. So number one, keep it fun, fight for fun. Number two, fruitful. 
This is a quality that will help you be better friends. What do we mean? Well, God says in Genesis 1:28, and by the way, this is the first command in the Bible. He says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. This is the first command in the Bible. Be fruitful. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? And multiply. Like, are you kidding me? You talk about a God of love, a God of grace and compassion. He's saying, make love and have lots of babies. Have friends with benefits. Yeah, now we're getting somewhere. Y'all paying attention now. And Adam's like, friends with benefits is such a good thing. All he's seen up until now are elephants and giraffes and hippos and whatnot. And these are really cool, God, but I ain't being fruitful with any of these. Somebody's got to do something. And so this is what God does. Genesis 2, 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And now I want you to picture this. Adam's groggy, like coming out of surgery. And here comes Eve walking up to him as he's waking up from the deep sleep. And here's what he says. Verse 23, at last, the man exclaimed. That's in the Bible, by the way. And that's funny. I don't care who you are because he's like, not going to lie. The giraffe was starting to look pretty good. You know, long neck and whatnot. At last, somebody who looks like me but looks way better than me. All right, I'm kidding. But listen, what we learn is that the marriage relationship, like everything else, existed then and now for the glory of God. So the primary function of the marriage is not for your glory or his glory, but God's glory in and through both of you, which means the marriage is meant to bring about fruitful multiplication. That's what we just read. Now, of course, that can mean having children, adopting, fostering children, but it can also mean living lives that are fruitful, meaning that you do things as a couple that make a difference for eternity, that you make the world a better place, that you serve the purpose of God in the earth together. Not one of you, but both of you. And people's lives get changed because uh, and or through your God-glorifying friendship. You find ways together to help change the world. You volunteer at the church together or you go on a mission trip together. You serve the marginalized together with, with one of our missions partners or however you do that. But the idea is that your life bears fruit and you do that together. Something is produced that couldn't be produced if we weren't together. That we leave the world a better place. And the enemy is mad that we got together. And the creator is glad that we got together. We gave birth to things that couldn't have happened if it wasn't for the fact that we got together and got married. God wants you to open up your home to other people, to do ministry together, to have kids together, to raise those kids to love Jesus. He wants you serving his purpose in the local church, in the city, in the world, through a life group. Be fruitful. And in the doing of that, you build that friendship. The third word is reciprocal. Come on, that's a hard word to say. Reciprocal. So, so what I mean here is that we both have to work on our friendship. Like for this to work well, I'm not saying it can't work when one does. I'm just saying to work well, we both have to try. And here's what I've seen. If you have a relationship where both people are unfriendly, guarantee you this, you'll have a relationship that is marked by coldness and conflict. Now, here's the next part of that. If you have a, a relationship where one person is unfriendly and the other person is friendly, you get selfishness. Over time, you get selfishness and sadness. But if you have two people who are friendly, you get love and laughter. 
think about that. Your options are conflict, selfishness and sad, or love and laughter. That's your choice. And somebody would say, well, man, Danny, my spouse is just not friendly. But, but don't shoot me now. Just, I'm just a messenger. But Proverbs 18.24 says that a person who wants friends must show himself or herself friendly. Must first be friendly. So I, my, my recommendation is you just go first. That you work at being a good friend to your spouse and see what happens. Every marriage. Here's, let's get real now. Are you ready for some real? Every marriage will have struggles. Every single one. I guarantee it. And sometimes the struggles come in bunches. The people who've been married a while can say amen. Like it's like we're on the struggle bus. And it's in these times that we can get overwhelmed by all of the struggles. And how do we fix all of this? We got communication issues and we've got financial issues. And we got family of origin stuff, childhood stuff. And, and where should we even start? Listen, listen, right here. Work on the friendship. Listen to all that other stuff. A lot of it will get solved when you work on the friendship. And please hear me. If you're struggling and the enemy is whispering in your ear, what's the use? Why do we even keep trying? What's the point? Let's just quit. No. Listen to me. Start here. I, I heard this on Friday at the, at the EXO conference that we hosted here at our church from, from Jimmy Evans, who's the founder of this thing. And he was talking about the effects of anger on our relationships. And he reminded us of this verse in Ephesians 4 that says, in your anger, do not sin. Like he's not saying you can't have anger because anger is going to come, right? But in your anger, do not sin. And then look, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. The implication is that if you go to sleep while still angry, that potentially you're giving the devil a foothold in your marriage. Let me, let me ask you something. If you were the devil, and some of you are like, I know him, right? I know her, right? But if you were the devil and you wanted to really mess someone's life up, let's take it even deeper and broader. If you wanted to mess up a community, if you wanted to mess up a country, right? And, and not just their lives, but the lives of their kids and maybe their grandkids or their great grandkids, where would you attack them, right? Their marriage, you can create so much pain and so much chaos and so many generational wounds by destroying a single marriage. So you and I, we have to wake up to that reality. And I doubt there is a better way to create havoc and pain for two people. And if there are kids involved for four or five people, than through wrecking a marriage. And listen, listen, some of you, that's your story. But I want to tell you that even if that's your story, God can rescue, God can redeem, and God can turn all of that around for your good. He's that good. But here, here's the other side of the coin. The devil will try to lie to you in your marriage and he'll accuse you to your spouse and vice versa. And when you make it a practice to not resolve issues that make you angry in your marriage, like if you just keep stuffing them down or, or sweeping them under, under the rug, inevitably you're giving the enemy a foothold in your marriage. And, that, and how that works is that while you're laying there, think about the last fight you guys had. While you're laying there in your bed at night stewing, you're getting all of these ideas, you're, you're having all these thoughts running through your head. It, this can even work down to your friendships like your, or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. All these thoughts are running through your head. We all do this, right? But listen to me. Be honest. Almost never are those thoughts helpful. Never are they holy and, and, and made to put you in right relationship with your spouse. Think about that. 
Just think about the last time you did this. Nothing good was rolling around in your head about your wife or your husband. Come on, somebody, just be honest. And what I think you're actually getting are thoughts that the enemy is stuffing into your head because that's, what, that's how he works. You're actually getting counsel. This is what Jimmy Evans said last night or Friday night or whenever that was. You're actually getting counsel from the evil one about and against your spouse. And he was talking about his own marriage early on and how they would go to bed all of the time angry at one another. And he said what ended up happening were two primary thoughts in his mind. Number one, she's the problem. Number two, I married the wrong woman. And this all came from the enemy who wanted to destroy his marriage. And you got to hear this. Trust me on this. Some of us have allowed our enemy, Satan, to convince you in your mind that your spouse is an obstacle to your happiness and to your wholeness. You've started seeing your, your spouse or maybe it's your best friend or even your parents as the enemy, the obstacle to your best life. That's almost certainly a lie from the devil. Just hear me on that. I can almost guarantee you that God would never put that in your mind or in your heart. Yeah, yeah, but Danny, bro, we've we fallen out of love. L listen to me. People don't fall, quote, fall out of love. They fall out of repentance, though. They, they fall out of forgiveness, though. They, they fall and run into sin, though. They don't fall out of love. Not, not if you really understand where love comes from. Because people say this because they want to abdicate their responsibility to love their spouse through all of the thick and thin until death does us part. They want to just like take that off the, uh, off the table. Like, I don't feel like I love them anymore. Seriously? Because God says we can love our enemies. Think about that. How is that even possible? To love your enemies. Only way it's possible is because God puts that love in us and allows it to come through us. John 4, 1 John, 1 John 4, if you, if you read it repeatedly, says God is love. What that means is that love doesn't begin inside of you. It doesn't begin with us. It doesn't come from within. It comes from God. It's a byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit. Go re read it in Galatians 5. The love that God gives you for your spouse didn't come from you. It's divine love. It comes from him. It's, it's literally supernatural love. And every other kind of love that you and I would call love in this world is probably just a matter of pheromones and hormones and dopamine and endorphins and other chemicals that get released when we get happy. They can come and go, but God will let his love go to us and then through us for each other. It's a grace oriented love from God because those sinners, God loves us. And even if our spouse is in sin or we're the ones that are in sin, God has love for them through us and God has love for us through them. And it's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, the Bible says, through us to them. Can, can, can we just be honest now? Come on. It's just real talk. Like we're just at home now. Let's just be real, right? Some folks are really unlovable from a human perspective. Could I just get an amen right there in the chat, somebody? Hard to love. You're thinking of your coworker, your boss, your cousin right now, right? And honestly, nobody would ever sort of stay in love with them if it weren't, come on, be honest, if it weren't for the supernatural work that God does in us and through us. Don't elbow your wife or your husband. It's not helpful. Come on. Now, now let me say this again. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your enemy, the devil, 
is your enemy. And your spouse is supposed to be your ally in your and her, his and her war against your enemy. Never think that your spouse is the enemy. That's a lie from the enemy. Your spouse is your friend. Your spouse is your ally in your war against your real enemy. Do not, do not say you've fallen out of love. Do not, do not declare that. Do not own that. You, you, do not say I'm unwilling to work on our friendship. Instead say, by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus and through the love that God gives me, I commit myself to being your friend and see what God does in your heart day after day. You may have to declare that over and over and day after day, but watch what God does when you do this. Let me tell you what to focus on when you're struggling in your marriage. See, most of us will focus on flaws. I want you to start focusing on the positives that are going on. That's what wise couples do. That's what couples who last the test of time do. They've simply learned to let their positive feelings about each other override their negative ones. Not denying that there are negative ones, just letting the positive ones override them. They understand each other. They honor each other. They respect each other. They know each other deeply. They enjoy being together. They do little things every day to stay connected, to look each other in the eyes and to show each other they care. In short, they are friends with benefits. You know, less wise couples, they're flaw focused. They can only see the negative flaws of their spouse. And I need you to know, right? You have flaws. Like, like you should just stand up and declare that I have flaws, right? You have flaws, so do I. And if all I focus on is your flaws, after a while of focusing, I'm going to be hating on you before long. Find the good, find the positive, and hone in on it. Let me give you another one. This is the last one, the last quality, intimate. It's going to be a lot shorter, I promise. Intimacy literally means into me see, right? It's, it's knowing one another, it says that of our first parents, that Adam was with his wife. That was the word, with his wife. He knew her. That was the word. And what that meant was intimacy. And friendship is so important because one old proverb says it well. Friendship doubles the joy and cuts the grief in half. Think about that. That's what it does in life. It doubles the joy and it cuts the grief in half. So, so that it doesn't matter what you're going through. It's better if you're with your friend. And so it's supposed to be intimate. Let, let, let me see if I can explain it, explain it in this way that it was explained to me one time. There, there are three kinds of marital approaches. There are back-to-back. These are just physical demonstrations. There's shoulder-to-shoulder and there's face-to-face. -face. And this is true of almost any kind of relationship. This is not just applying to marriage. So back-to-back so -back approaches that... That, that notion after time, over time, when we're giving the devil a foothold, um, we've become adversaries. And this is what happens in bed at night a lot of times. We lay down, think about this, and we immediately go into a posture of turning our back to each other. This is where the enemy gets a foothold. Bitterness sets in. Hostility sets in. We're not loving. We're not working on the friendship. It's a bad place, really. Anger is seeping out. Contempt is present. You're not really friends at all. You're in, actually, you're in real trouble. And most marriages, though, are not that way. They're shoulder to shoulder. You're basically co-workers. And I think what happens is you start off as friends, and then you become co-workers. And, and as we've already said, it's, it's more of a business relationship whose sole reason for existence is to raise our mutual children. And then we'll see what happens. 
But in marriage, a huge question is, I need you to ask this. This is the practical part. Am I investing more emotional energy into my spouse than I'm into my friends or my children? Come on. Am I investing more emotional energy into my spouse than am I into my friends or my children or my hobby or my work? Or, 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 or this is the second part of that question. Or where is it that I'm investing most of my emotional energy? <clears throat> That's an important question. Y- you may have seasons of shoulder-to-shoulder time in your relationships, especially when you have very, very young children, babies. But if that's all you ever have, if that's all you ever get, you will not have the fulfilling marriage, the fullness of marriage that God in- uh, designed it to be. So, so we want to have a marriage that's face-to-face. This is actually looking one another in the eyes, putting down your phones. I know that's hard. Turning off the TV, except right now, leave it on. Right? Being alone together. This is date nights. This is evenings together. Put the babies to bed. Put on some candles. Put on some, you know, some music, whatever your music, your jam is. This is vacations without the kids. This is sacred moments that God gives throughout the course of our day, like even just a minute or two. Just look at one another in the eyes. Think about that. When's the last time you just looked at each other in the eyes for a moment and really see each other. And there's this connection that happens that only happens face to face. And face to face is really the language of the Bible for friendship. There's all of these verses where God appears to face to face. To face. I'm going to show you one. Exodus 33, 11, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Now notice this, as a man speaks to his friend. Think about that. That's the Bible's language for friendship, face to face. And I think this brings up my last thought. I think it's always going to be easier to have intimacy in marriage, to have real friendship in marriage, if there's intimacy between us and God as well. Like that, that it's not just about me and her and her and I, it's about us with God, where God is having intimacy with me, where God is seeing into me and God is at work inside my heart and in my life and in our home and in our marriage. And that's where this gets real. So, so, so as we close in this moment, I just want you to think about that last piece. I've given you four qualities that I think if you just begin to work on any one of these things, if you start focusing on any one of these things, that they would really help. But I think what's going to move the thing, the marriage further faster, the relationship further faster, is if God is at the center of the relationship where we are saying to God through our prayer, through our worship, that this is why it's so important to gather as a family, as a couple. I don't care if you're married or you're dating. Like, like, like bring them to church where God speaks, where God works, where God does his best thing, that we serve together in God's house. Maybe you're just doing that online right now. That's cool. You're doing it online, but you're doing it together. You're serving together. And there's an intimacy with God. And listen, some of you, honestly, you would say, Danny, I don't even know God yet. And I'm saying, I would say in response to that, you can. You can know him right here. You can know him right now. You can start that relationship, that relationship of intimacy with you and God. You can start that here right now. For marriages that are struggling, for relationships that are struggling, you can invite God in right here, right now. God, on our own, we're not getting this done. God, on our own, we are overwhelmed with all of our issues. And God would say, hey, start with me. Start with me. And then I'm going to help you start with each other. But start 
right here, right now. Would you pray with me right where you are? Would you pray with me? Father, God, this is such an important season for us. It's, it's Valentine's Day today, God. We're, we're thinking about that. But God, this is a time when we focus on relationships. The month of February at LifePoint, this is what we do. But it's not just relationships with other people, although that's the focus that we're going to be honing in on. But really, God, it begins with our relationship with you. And God, if we are not right with you, God, if we are living on our own, headed our own direction, living life our own way apart from you, then God, I believe the best decision we could ever make is to start here right now and stop and turn around to turn around from the direction that we're going to stop and turn around. I was going this way, but God, I want to go your way. I want to go your way, God. So, Lord, I give you my heart, God. I give you my life. I ask you to be the forgiver of my sins, of my brokenness. God, heal the brokenness in me that's come from my childhood, from my family of origin, God, from mistakes that I've made along the way, God, from mistakes that were made against me, from wounds that people have given me through my life, that have damaged me, that have caused me to see relationships through a lens of the pain and the chaos that I experienced as a child. God, create in me a clean heart. God, renew in me a right spirit, I pray. God, start with me. Into me, see, I pray. God, I believe that you died on a cross for me. God, I believe that you gave up your life to pay the price that I could never pay with all of my good efforts. I trust you. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. I pray, amen. And God, I'm praying for relationships that are struggling right now. God, that they think that there's nothing left, that the enemy has told them that it's over, that, that, that they're even drawing up papers. Some of them are even drawing up papers here right now that, that's on the table. But I pray against that in the name of Jesus, that the restorative, God, love that, you, you, that only comes through you anyway would come back. God, that they would stop seeing all the negative and all the flaws and that they would start seeing the power that they would focus on their relationship with you. And God, as your love flows down, that it would flow out of them to one another. I pray that you would restore and renew over these next few weeks as we do this series, Relationship Goals, that they'd keep coming back for more, that they'd keep believing more and more, that their faith would rise. God, you said, Jesus said, that he said to Peter, I pray, Peter, for your faith that it would not waver, that you would not be sifted as wheat. And so I'm praying for people's faith that is, that is rough right now because of life's circumstances, that it would not waver. I pray against the enemy who would try to destroy their marriages and their relationships. I pray against him in Jesus' name to take his hands off of those relationships right now. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said a big old amen right there at home. A big old amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so very much for joining with us today. We love you so much. Have a great day. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.